Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are here today with Shirley Jump, and she is going to share with us the story of Matthew DeRammer. And the book we're going to be talking about today is Finding Level Ground. Shirley, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it is terrific to have you with us, Shirley. And Shirley, this book is a little bit of a departure for you. You are a an author of women's books and uh, romance novels. And this book is a very, very different topic for you. Um, for currently, yes. I, I've published 70 books and two, some of my earlier ones, one of my earlier ones was a biography. So I've done something similar to this before and, and worked on some biographies for other people. Um, so yeah, but it was a departure in the fact that I, never got to meet the person that I wrote the entire book about, essentially, because he had already died. Right. And boy, you would never know that. You are just such a masterful storyteller. I felt like I was right in the middle of every part of this story. And having never known anyone who suffered uh, from the uh, mental challenges that that Matthew had, I I really was drawn in to what it must really feel like to battle bipolar disorder, which is is what the topic of the book is about. But why don't we back up and and, and talk and how, how introduced to him in the beginning of the book and why his story became such a viral. Thing on the internet and even with the major news outlets? Well, I think that was a two-part thing. Matt, in real life, was engaging and intoxicating. I, from everything that I read and everything that I heard about him, his friends were, he was, they were drawn to him, you know, like he was a, you know, a, a flame and they were all moths. It was, he was just a, a very larger-than-life person. And um, that personality drew a lot of followers on Facebook. But what really made him go viral after his death was the message that he posted just a few hours before. And he had had a pretty um, unsteady life up until then, which is why the book is called Finding Level Ground. He was basically always trying to find a level place to be in his mind and in his life. And he had just recently found that. And that afternoon, it was New Year's Eve in 2015, he posted, I don't really know where I'll end up tonight, but I do know where I wind up is where I'm meant to be. And then a few hours later, he was hit and, he was killed in a hit and run um, when he was on his motorcycle on his way to see his family. And people, when they made that connection, were just moved by his words and started to share them. And like anything else, it just kind of took off one person at a time. Then Ashton Kutcher, who has like the most Twitter followers of anybody or something like that, he tweeted that, um, that retweeted it, and it got a lot of attention, and that's what drew the news media afterwards. Mm. So what makes Matt's story so impactful? And, you know, again, I, I just was so drawn in from the very first page of this book. It, it was incredible. But 
what do you think was what set him apart? And, you know, our show is called The Game Changer. And I think Matt really was a game changer, even in his own tragic struggles. He definitely was. He didn't fit the um, the stereotype of a bipolar person. He was determined to go out and live his life and experience everything that he wanted to. He went, he joined the Marines. He went to Iraq. Um, he he had a lot of trouble there, um, especially with PTSD after he returned, but he didn't let any of that bring him down, and he was determined to conquer his bipolar and also conquer his life, and what changed, what made him a game changer wasn't just the way that he battled life and was determined to succeed. It was the way that he, no matter what was going on in his life, always had a positive message for all those people that were around him. And that's that legacy that he left um, behind that was something that he had fostered during his life and he continued it even after his death. Now, did you know his parents? How were you drawn into writing this book? His parents came to um, Now I See Press, which is um, where I work, and they wanted his story told. But their son had only been dead for a little less than two years and they really weren't ready to tell it themselves. It was very uh, raw and fresh to them, but they offered to give us access to his emails and his journals and his notes and his and any friends and family that we wanted to talk to. And so that's what I did. I got this giant box of journals and emails and Matt kept a lot of written material, which was great because it gave me an insight into him. And I was able to read all of that and um, talk to some people that knew him and draw a picture of him. And every single chapter I gave to the parents to make sure I got it right before I moved on Mm -hmm. to the next one, Um, because I really felt tasked more so with this book than any other book I've ever written in getting it right, because it was a legacy to their son. Well, it's it's very interesting to look back at his childhood, and uh, he had a a younger sister, or still, uh, she's Mm -hmm. still with us, but... Uh, the relationship that they had and how he was so protective of her and how he himself was a storyteller. In fact, his friends called him the dreamer, which is kind of a play on words with with the spelling of his last name. Right, right. He was actually the younger brother to um, Lindsay, Uh but (laughs) that's okay. And she she ended up being very protective of him later in life when they were Uh adults. Um, But, and and she's still uh, quite involved with you know, his legacy and the book and everything else. So she's been fabulous. Right. Um, but yeah, he was, I mean, part of it was he maybe was ADD. I mean, back then he died when he was 31. And back then, you know, kids weren't labeled as such. They were just hyperactive or, you know, right. they needed better discipline or whatever, you know, the school said, which really wasn't his problem. He had something going on mentally. And he was just, super active, loved light and action and things. And he was always on the go and always kind of getting into trouble and stuff like right. a little kid. Um, and then he would also have periods of time where he would just kind of drift off and be in his own world. And that's where the dreamer um, nickname came from, which is a very easy change from his last name of Dreamer. So they just took out the E and everybody called him Dreamer. Right, right. 
So Matt had a number of, of things that happened in his life. I mean, one of, one of the things that really stuck with me was the story about when he was in Iraq and someone who he was very close to was in a convoy behind him and mm-hmm. uh, ended up uh, dying tragically in, in um, an accident. And, and Matt really kind of snapped a little bit there. And, you know, he had really enjoyed his time in the Marine Corps. I mean, as much as one can, right. But because it helped him get centered and, you know, again, that quest for level ground, uh, they didn't really permit him uh, to be anything, but what they needed him to be at the moment. And, and he really uh, had a high impact at that time. Were, were there other things that stick out to you in his story that, that were kind of seminal moments that led up to him, you know, finally coming back to his family and really where his faith had to kick in and, and really get him centered so that he could find the true level ground? And I, I think that, like you said, it was something he was struggling to find his whole life. The death of Garcia was massively impactful to him. He he felt responsible. His truck was ahead of Garcia's. He, his truck had avoided the IED that was in the road. Um, I don't even know if Matt saw it. They just didn't hit it, and Garcia's truck did. And he couldn't do anything. He couldn't get out of the truck. He couldn't pull Garcia out because the metal bent so badly. And the guilt that he felt over that, whatever mental issues he had had going on before, were compounded dramatically by the PTSD that he suffered from that. And he also spent a lot of his life trying to be accepted and looking for love, especially from women. And I think a lot of them struggled to understand him. When you know, when you're living with somebody that has bipolar, they're not the same person every single day, and right. they struggled with that. And he struggled with understanding why people would be distant from him. He didn't always necessarily see the impact of his behavior and his words on other people. So it wasn't until everything really broke for him after he came back home um, to the um, Florida area that he realized he needed to get his act together. His marriage had fallen apart. He was in uh, marital counseling and he was really trying to start his life over. And that's when he returned back to church and returned back to his roots and with his family. He started to build a bond with his dad that had kind of taken a backseat for many years while each of them were kind of um, doing their own thing and struggling as parents sometimes do with their adult children to find that common ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two of them had begun to find, find that relationship. And just before he died, his dad and him had gone on a very long motorcycle ride all through Tampa, had lunch at Maggiano's and just really enjoyed their ta- time, not knowing that that would be it. Right. Right. Now, I I believe I'm remembering that Matt wasn't diagnosed officially with bipolar disorder until he was an adult. So throughout his childhood, how how were his parents dealing with his his uh, ups and downs? And were they just writing it off to, you know, he was just an emotional kid. And I mean, he, he obviously had tons of energy, uh, you know, when he was in his manic state. Right. Right. And when he was young, they did what most parents do. They tried to channel the energy. They put him into sports. You know, they kept him active all the time. And I'm mm-hmm. a parent of a boy who was active when he was a kid, not like Matt was. 
but you know, you let the kid go run for like a half an hour and hopefully they sleep at night. Um, But Matt didn't respond the same way as a regular, regular, but a kid without those issues might, but they um, eliminated dyes and bad foods from his diet. All of, they did everything that they possibly could and kept him, you know, in a good educational environment and everything else that they possibly could do to work with their son. And they loved him. They didn't think they knew that there was maybe something off, but I don't think that they thought bipolar or anything else like that. I think they just thought that he was a little more energetic and enthusiastic than everybody else. Right, right. Shirley, did you have to do research uh, on bipolar disorder or did you learn everything that you know about it simply from his journals and from talking to his friends and family? Um, I had some familiarity with it already um, because I'd researched it before for something else, but then I also did additional research on it and talked to some people that had lived with people with bipolar um, and then also drew from Matt's family and his personal writings. So what what was the final catalyst to bring Matt closer to God and, and back to his family? I think it was his marriage falling apart. I think he finally had reached an age where he realized that the problem maybe was him, right? So he really needed mm-hmm. to straighten out his issues because he sort of alienated everybody in his life because of the manic side of him. And the depression had gotten pretty scary for him. He, you know, had contemplated suicide. He'd had some really dark days. And I think, too, that all of us reach a certain age where we're like, wait a minute, I've really got to grow up here and face my issues so that I can have the life that I want. And I think part of it wasn't just that his life had fallen apart, but also a maturity where he realized, yeah, some of this is within me to change. And so he came back home and got back in school, got a better job, and really started to pull himself together. Mm-hmm. There were some some interesting uh, stories in the introductions into the book uh, of pastors and different folks uh, that he had been coming and talking to uh, as as we led up to what uh, was ultimately the night of his death on on that New Year's Eve, and. And they seem to play a really pivotal role in in his life during that, uh, again, what what no one knew was this pivotal moment. Right, yeah. And he did, he had made some lifelong friends that had stayed with him from uh, elementary school, uh, high school all the way up. And he also had friends at church. And um, like anything, once Matt joined, Matt was all in. (laughs) He didn't just do it (laughs) that way. He was all in. He was enthusiastic. He was a part of the group. He was talking. He was trying, you know, to really make that work for him. So um, unlike somebody that might join something and just be kind of quiet and be in the corner, Matt was there and vibrant and a part of it. And you couldn't help but everything that everyone said to me was you couldn't help but love him because he was just so alive. Right, right. So. Shirley, how did this book uh, and, and writing this book and, and, of course, again, all of the, the research that you had to do for the book, how did that impact you as an author? Because, again, you, you've been writing uh, in a much lighter genre, and, and this, this book had some um, 
uh, just a lot of depth to it in, in everything, right? A depth of the energy it draws from you as you're telling the story, the depth of his emotions. How did it impact you? Much more than I thought it would. Like I said, I've written biographies. I, I When I first started um, writing, I was a journalist and covered um, crimes and suicides and deaths and all kinds of, you know, dark things. Um, but this book, maybe it was because I knew the family um, pretty well by the time I was done, maybe because I was reading, you know, his writings in his own hand. It, it became like Matt was somebody that I knew, even though I never met him. And it's funny, I, I lived in Fort Wayne. I, a lot of the places that the family lived, I lived, but just, you know, a year off or whatever. Otherwise, I would have met them, um, you know, because a lot of it was very much in common, but just a year or so off in terms of timing. But by the time I got to the end, and I already knew how it ended, you know, I, the first chapter talks about his death. But by the time right. I got to the last chapter, I, I struggled to write that. It took me three days and it took me a lot of writing and deleting and starting over again. And I through the whole thing because I knew that as soon as I finished this book, I'd have to say goodbye to him. Right. And it was so much harder than I expected it to be. And I just had such a hard time with it. I really did. And I put that at the end of the book. I, I did not expect that. And then after the book came out, the pastor at Bridgepoint Church um, was talking about it at the church. And I was down in the lobby watching the service on the um, tele the televisions that where they stream it. And I saw a pastor talking about my book on, uh, you know, the, the um, altar there. And I was just astounded that that would happen. And that was like the most, the proudest moment I've ever had as an author because I mm. saw a book that I had written changing lives, at least, right. you know, not, I'm not talking about hundreds, but whoever was in that audience that was reading it and everything. And that was huge for me. And I really credit Matt for doing that because it was his powerful story and his family right. so generously shared with me that um, created a story that hopefully will change people when they read it. Oh, I, I am absolutely certain of that, Shirley. Uh, as I said, you know, it's funny as I was reading it uh, and, and reading the uh, the account of him both as a child and, and, you know, as he went off to be in the Marines, I started thinking about people who I had known in my life who had had erratic behavior and whether, mm -hmm. you know, whether they, uh, in fact, may have had bipolar disorder. And, and I think one of the things is when this kind of an illness is in a family, the natural inclination is to not talk about it, right? But there is such right. freedom in the kind of transparency that the family has allowed you to reveal about his life, right? And and right. so in reading that story, and again, it is just so engaging from the very beginning. And I, I can understand how it impacted you because I felt like I was standing there at the door when, you know, they mm -hmm. opened the door and, and, you know, there's the, the law enforcement per personnel to tell them what they knew could not be good news. Right. E even right, though right. his mother was in denial and, you know, was going to go get her, her, you know, coat so that they could go to the hospital. You know, his dad knew that that wasn't going right. to be the case uh, just from right. the look uh, in, in the law enforcement person's face. And, and so <laughs> You know, I, I just 
want to encourage you. And I, again, I don't think you need that encouragement, but this story, I feel like there are going to be people who read it, uh, maybe because a friend tells them, you know, that, that they should or whatever, but someone's life is going to be saved because of this story. Maybe many people's lives are going to be saved because of this story, because of, again, that full transparency of them allowing you to share his voice as if it were his own. Because as I was reading through it, it was like, oh my gosh, how did Shirley even, uh, you know, not knowing him, how could she bring this to such a personal uh, place? Uh, because you do feel every emotion as you're reading this. Well, and I think for two things, I think that it's important in this country to have a conversation about mental health and to be upfront about it and honest about it. I mean, we look at what's happening in the world and, you know, people aren't talking about it and they need to, because that is what will allow people that struggle with mental health issues to ask for help or to accept help or do not feel weak for taking medication or going to a therapist or anything else. I think it's very important that people Mm -hmm. know that that's an illness like diabetes and you need to treat it as you would anything else. So that's a big part of what the honesty about the bipolar is in this book. It is to help people realize that it's okay to say, I'm struggling with PTSD, I'm struggling with bipolar, I'm struggling with even just a little bit of grief or whatever it is. Um, And the family was very open and okay with me sharing the ups and the downs because when you right. read Matt's emails or you look at his journals, you can see it flipping and flopping sometimes on a weekly basis. It depended on how quickly he was spiraling up and down. Um, right. And you would just see the difference in his messages and how he didn't get it for quite some time. Um, but yeah, I think that that is um, a great thing to do. And I think that part of what made it easier to bring him to life is that Maybe I'm just, maybe it's just my age, but at a certain point, you mm-hmm. start to understand that about other people. You understand going through traumatic experiences. You understand great loss. And um, you really want to be able to show that to everyone else. And on top of that, like I said, it was, it was an honor and a privilege to be able to write this story. And I wanted to do it right for the family, for God, for Matt for everything. Mm-hmm. And I just felt this tremendous pressure and um, need to make sure it came out right. Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah, mission accomplished, my dear. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, again, one of the things uh, that hit me when I was reading, I, I believe it was, it was in the introduction of, of one of the pastors who was talking about how Matt had found this powerful, relentless faith right? That would Mm -hmm. carry him, of course, later, his family and friends, uh, through all of the inevitable periods of our life that don't make any sense. And we, all of us know that that's true. Things happen to us that we just don't understand. And when you magnify that with bipolar disorder, um, there are many things that don't make sense. But, But ultimately, Matt did find that faith that really transformed him. And, you know, I think that that is the most amazing thing about this book is that 
you know, we're taught that medicine and, and therapy and, you know, electric shock or whatever, you know, is going to make these mental health issues better. But at the end of the day, the only thing that is going to help us find that level ground, no matter where we stand, even if we are healthy, uh, you know, from a, a mental health standpoint, the finding of level ground is really the core message of this book. And again, Matt, Matt is the vehicle that allowed you to tell that story. So how would you describe Matt as a game changer? Because again, it's, it's often uh, not popular to hold up someone who, who has been sick uh, in the way that Matt was as, as something that we should aspire to, but really he was, he was just amazing. Even in, in his last hours of the words that he said. I think that part of what makes him a game changer is something that makes all of us a game changer without us realizing it. So few of us realize the impact our words have on other people. Matt didn't get to see his impact. He died just before it happened, but it went viral and hit thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And we all have that power within us. And he didn't necessarily realize it. He was just trying basically to find himself and find his place in the world. But wherever he went, he was always someone that loved deeply and fiercely and loyally. And that formed the basis for him changing so many people after he died. And that, I think, is something that we all have the potential to do if only we kind of wake up to the power and the strength and um, gift that we have within ourselves to give to other people. Right. Well, one of the things that he included in, in that last message that his mother uh, ended up finding on Facebook was a quote from, from a book uh, that he included, the, uh, the meme from it, which is, we are born in one day, we die in one day, we can change in one day, and we can fall in love in one day. Anything can happen in just one day. And again, one of the things that he said uh, in, in his last message was that, you know, he didn't know where he was going to end up that day, but he knew, you know, that it was where he was supposed to be. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of right. course, but, but it, it was that portion of his message uh, that really caused, I think, everyone who encountered that message, whether they heard it in the CNN interview that, that was done, uh, where his dad struggled so hard uh, just even to maintain composure in that interview, mm -hmm. um, all the way down to the people who, uh, you know, saw Ashton Kutcher's uh, tweet and, and who went back and, and saw his Facebook post later. Um, you almost wonder, and I'm, I'm sure this occurred to you, of whether he was, was prescient about his own death. There was definitely a few things that happened that I personally think he maybe knew. Uh, anybody that's, you know, had a religious experience like that, sometimes you do get that foreshadowing of it. I mean, he had his mom, his license was I think his license was late on payment or something. I don't remember the exact story, but him and his mom went into the DMV the day before he died to have her listed as the notification person on his license. If he hadn't done that, the family wouldn't have found out for a very long time because he didn't live at home. You know, he was a grown up. He had his own house. Right. So those little weird little things that happened just before, not just the words that he posted on his Facebook, but the actions that he did seemed like he had a way of knowing that. And he did say at some point in his life, I, I don't remember when it was, but he did say, I don't think I'm going to live forever. You know, and of course, no parent wants to hear that. You kind of brush that off. 
Right. But he definitely, I think, had a, a knowledge of this. And I do hope that, you know, he didn't suffer and that he, you know, was able to, I, I talk, I start the book with light and I'm hoping that that's all he saw was light and that right. he knew that he was a light to the rest of the world around him afterwards. Right. Well, Shirley, what lessons can we all learn uh, from Matt's trick story? How, how would you summarize it in just a few words? I think it's to love out loud, you know, love the people in your life, love yourself, love God, and don't be afraid of taking those risks and of being who you are, exactly as you are. There was a reason Matt was born the way that he was. There was a reason that Matt was bipolar and struggled, and and there was a reason that he was larger than life. It was because after he died, his life was going to have such a larger than normal impact. So the way that you are made and the way that you have been um, shaped is important and is a gift to the world. You need to celebrate that and make the most of it. Mm. Shirley, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. Um, is the book actually available for sale yet? I it's available for sale everywhere, um, Amazon and everything, and on the Now SC Press website as well. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your afternoon with us. And again, we've been talking to Shirley Jump. She is the author of a book called Finding Level Ground. And as Shirley said, it's available everywhere and you can go to the Now SC Press website and check it out. Thank you so much, Shirley. I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. You have been with Chickie Fitzgerald with the Game Changer Network. This is a special series that we are doing in cooperation with Now SC Press. Check out www.publishwithnow.com if you are interested in checking out what they can do for you if you've got a book inside of you. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.